Spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom. Crash landed. From comics to video games. From the cinematic universe to television. Connecting you to the biggest stars in the industry. Something out there had discovered us. It's time for the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Here's your host, James Witham. Updating our fall TV profile a little bit this week. It's episode 283 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm James Witham. And yeah, it's that time of year where all the new shows are coming back. Maybe there's already some you get ready to check out. You've got, you know, I'm going to watch these live. i got the DVR for these ones because there's so many. And this week I'm going to tell you about another one. It's Prodigal Son, which is a new show coming out on Fox. Going to be talking to Frank Hartz about that, who plays Detective J.T. Tarmel. On the show, and this is a show that when I saw it really, really caught my attention. Really, really interesting about the son of a serial killer. I think you're really, really going to dig it. You might even have seen it a little bit if you were at San Diego Comic Con this year. You might have found out a little bit more about the show. Now, now's when the show is actually going to premiere on September the 23rd. That's a Monday at 9 p.m. on Fox. You're not going to want to miss that. There's a ton of other stuff to talk about this week, too. Going to have more reviews, but you know how we start our reviews every week. That's right, we start with comics. It's what we're reading next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is writer Zach Kaplan, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Whether you keep them in a long box, or you keep them on your laptop or your tablet, hey, it's time to get reading. And what we're reading this week is something that was made a big deal out of by Spider-Man fans when it was first announced, and I think probably an even bigger deal now, Spider-Man number one. The 2019 version, anyway, from Marvel Comics, written by Henry and J.J. Abrams. Yeah, I gave the kid top billing. Sarah Pichelli on the art. Elisabetta Diamico helping out with the inks. Dave Stewart on the colors. And VCs Joe Caramagna on the letters. Now, here's the thing. You know, if you've listened to the show before, I don't like to talk about spoilers when I review these books just in case. Here's the deal. It's impossible to really talk about this book without any spoilers. So here's the deal. I'm going to break my rule. I never do spoilers when it comes to books, but this book is already out too. So there's that. I don't feel, you know, I'm not worried about spoiling anything for anybody. So spoilers ahead for the Abrams Spider-Man story, because there's no other way for me to talk about this otherwise. So here it goes. Big time spoilers. The first one is, is that MJ dies in this issue, like right at the beginning. You want to talk about like a smack in the face right at the beginning of something that's going to get your attention? Yeah, this one gets your attention really quick. And that new villain they were talking about, Cadaverous? Yeah, that's who kills MJ, by the way. So here's the deal. That was 12 years ago. Flash forward to the future. Peter couldn't save her, by the way. Tried to save her. Couldn't. Loses his arm in the process, too, by the way. Yeah, so Peter Parker now has one arm in this story. So keep that in mind as we go along here. Now you flash forward and you find out they have a son. The son's name is Ben. Makes sense, right? So Ben's out of control. He's living with Aunt May. but And Peter's very, virtually not around. So it makes it seem like he's a deadbeat, but he's clearly trying to save him from the, from the hero life and it's not working. And you get the impression that Ben has no idea about any of this, right? So... His instincts are taking over, and it's pretty clear that he has powers, Ben does, and it just seems like this is not going to work. This kid's going to find his own path, and Aunt May kind of pushing him a little bit, which I thought was 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 interesting, especially after everything that she saw 
Peter go through. But there's this whole, you know, the the with great power comes great responsibility thing is an underlying theme in this story from the very beginning, I think. It really feels that way to me anyway. It's not obvious, but it feels like that's the underlying thing here. And it's like, is Ben ready for that? Was Peter ready for that? And should Aunt May be, be encouraging this? And Peter might not necessarily be doing the right thing, but is it, it, what is the right thing? And that's part of parenting too, not just in the story. That's actually part of parenting, right? Do you let your kid do the thing that you did that was so great for so many people, but yet also took so much from you? One of those things being your wife and his mother. And there's just so many complicated issues at hand here. Now, here's the deal. Cadaveris is still around. We see that later on in the story. But, I mean, is that MJ there? Is she not really dead? Could she be brought back? Is that the whole cadaverous name? Is that part of it? And what would she come back as? There's so many questions that you could get from this. And now that I've I've spoiled a lot of this, and I'm sorry, I just, you have to because I, you got to understand the gravity of what's going on here. Now, if you're a Spider-Man fan, you're either furious after you read this or you're like, wow, okay, this is something that I did not expect. This was a complete left turn of a story and I'm digging the new stuff. It's not quite a series of a turn. I remember there was a lot of anger when Superior Spider-Man came out. Doc Ock takes the suit. I actually liked Superior Spider-Man. I thought that as much as Doc Ock was a douche in Peter Parker's body and you'd expect that, right? It was kind of a breath of fresh air type of story and I really, really loved it. And it's hard for me to judge on one issue if I'm going to feel the same way about this Abrams story or not, I do think that there are some big time chances taken here, especially killing MJ that for your first Spider-Man story. I don't care if your last name is Abrams. That's a ballsy move. That really, really is to do something like that. Cause you're talking about MJ here. You're going back to the classics. So I'm not saying that Gwen Stacy and some of the others haven't been been important when you kill Gwen Stacy. That certainly left an impact. But this is, I'm sorry, depending on what generation you grew up in, this is MJ. This is some serious stuff. So I'm just very interested to see where they're going to go with this and if they do end up bringing MJ back at some point, what the end game is here. But more so, is Ben going to go forward as Spider-Man? It certainly seems that way that he's going to suit up at some point. And how is that reaction going to be from Peter and and is he going to mentor him? Is he not? We're going to have like an Oracle type situation. There are so many ways that this could go. that could make it either really, really special or downhill. And I'm not quite sure where we're at yet. Sarah Pichelli's art is gorgeous, by the way. You want to talk about making this book impactful? Sarah Pichelli absolutely does that. I mean, whether you loved the story or not, the one thing I think any Spider-Man fan can, can agree on is Sarah Pichelli's art. But I got to say, I did. I liked it. I did. I was engaged. I liked Ben's character. You, you, you understood why he was doing what he was doing. And you, you understand what place it was coming from. And it's, it's a like father, like son thing, except Ben has a little bit more of a hardened personality, you know, because of what's happened to his mother. Now, Peter didn't have his parents either, but at the same, and, and Uncle Ben dies too, of course, but at the same time, it's it just, this one feels different for some reason for me. And I know it's a similar play on the similar story, but it's a different vibe to me. And I'm, I'm very curious to see where this goes. I got to keep this in my poll box, even though I'm a little unsure. I got to make this a poll 
This is something I have to have the second issue of. I need to know where this is going. I've just I've got a great feeling that we're destined for great things. Speaking of something that's getting a 2019 number one update, Bloodshot is as well from Valiant Comics and Valiant Entertainment. Tim Seeley doing the writing there, Brett Booth on the art, Andrew Dollhouse on the colors, David Sharp, Dave Sharp on the letters, Declan, Declan Shelby on the cover art, which is gorgeous, by the way. Now, I will not spoil this one. What I will tell you is this, is that We've seen the deeply emotional bloodshot stories from someone like Jeff Lemire. We've seen seen other bloodshot stories tell as well, tell, told as well. We've seen the early stages of Project Rising Spirit. We've seen almost every bloodshot story you could think of. But this story puts Bloodshot in the role of being a little bit more unhinged and definitely ramps up his personality. I'm not sure. Now, I cannot go through the annals of every bloodshot issue and every story that's ever been written, but I'm not sure we've ever had this much personality from bloodshot at least in a long time. If not ever, it's really, it's not like quite Lobo esque, but we're pushing that type of area here. I mean, certainly dialed back from that, but we're getting to that area. Now he's still trying to do good. And there's, there are some things trying to stand in his way of that. Now, most of this issue is actually him trying to do what he thinks he's, is right, saving a woman and a child from this basically group of mercenaries sort of thing. But there's more to it than that. And we actually see the aftermath of Bloodshot's quest for good in that pursuit. And then we go backwards to find out how things all started from the beginning and how it got to that point. And that's basically all I can tell you without spoiling anything. So the, it's the in-between. This is one of those instances where the in-between is where the intrigue lies. Not at the beginning, not at the end, but the in-between. And you have to decide if you want to know what happens in that in-between. If you already... We don't really know the outcome, but we know where the climactic point is of the of what that in-between story is going to be and which way that goes, we don't know exactly for sure. But you have to decide if that's important enough for you or not. Now, the art in this book has this edge and attitude to it that really sells me on this new style of Bloodshot. Going from what we had with Bloodshot to this Bloodshot now, real, the art really sells for me. I love Seely's writing on this too, but it's the art that really, you put the two things together and you go, yeah, okay, I'm down with this. I, I'm I'm up for this. Maybe... This one's just, I'm not used to it recently, but I'm really digging it. And it's almost like I'm being eased into change here. And maybe that's because there's a movie coming up, even though they did release that definitive edition trade paperback on September the 11th that they said that was what inspired the movie. So you can grab that if you want to know maybe what the movie's going to be about. And I'm sure we're going to get a trailer here pretty soon. But I'm just a fan of the character. I am. I've always been a fan of the Bloodshot character. As long as it's not horribly bad, I'll read anything with Bloodshot in it. And Valiant does a great job of not doing horribly bad books and knowing who to pick to write their books, especially if you're going to do a little bit of a change of character like this and bring in somebody like Tim Seeley in. Perfect choice. Put this in my pull box as well. Can't wait to keep reading Bloodshot, the brand new edition from Valiant Entertainment. That's going to do it for what we're reading up next. What are we going to review? Maybe some fall TV. There's certainly a lot of choices. Find out what we pick next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Cassia Teller from The 100, and you are listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. With so much fall TV happening, I thought I'd do something a little bit different this week, talk about a show that I don't think I've ever talked about. 
on the podcast before, and that is The Good Place, which is entering its final season. Season four actually begins Thursday, September the 26th at 9 p.m. on NBC. And what I wanted to do is kind of give a spoiler-free review of the first episode of Girl from Arizona Part 1 that's going to be airing on that day. Got a chance to see it a little bit early now. You know, there are some things that you know from the from what happened last season, like Eleanor is now the architect now, and you've got these new residents, these four test subjects that are going to be in this new neighborhood under their supervision, basically to see if humanity can improve themselves. And that that's part of the experiment. That's part of the challenge, right? And they, that's, that's how they're going to try to save humanity. So, you know, Michael has the breakdown. He can't do it. So Eleanor steps in. Now, we do get, you know, part of what's going on in the bad place and part of, you know, the the gang from The Good Place. You get to see a little bit both sides of the coin in this episode. You do get to see some of the new residents that do arrive, and I'm not just talking about Simone either. That is, that is one that we've already known about from last season, and that certainly is going to create some problems for Chidi. There's no question about that, and we get to see. Remember, his memory's been erased too, so we get to see a little bit of the fallout from that. Actually seeing, I don't want to say the new Cheaty, because it's not really new. It's just rebooted, which is, you know, a common Hollywood thing. It's funny that they would go ahead and do it that way. It's it's the, the vibrancy that's in him now. You know, when you're seeing, like, the good place for the first time, or what he's being told is the good place for the first time, and seeing his reaction to that, I, I do love that. And how Eleanor is dealing with this, we saw it. We sort of see a little bit of that in this episode as well. I won't tell you how she's doing, but I will tell you that we get that. But there's a lot on everybody's plate, not just Eleanor, but on with J- with Janet and and Jason, and everybody's trying to figure out how to kind of pull their resources and find out how they can you know win this battle with the bad place and and prove their point basically. But you got to find out as much as you can about these new residents and we get this and not granted this is a first episode of an entire season but that doesn't mean there aren't any any twists in it there's already one big twist in this episode it's pretty hilarious when it happens i didn't see it coming it was very abrupt and very hilarious which is you know kind of describes the good place pretty well over the last few seasons i also have to say that before i go on talking about this episode I know that the people are upset that, you know, they're ending it after four seasons, but it really feels, especially in this first episode, I get the feeling like, you know what, as good as the show is and as funny as it can be, this is the right place to end it. And this is the right way to end it with something like this, because the show was about creating discussions about certain things, right? Not just being in general funny. And there's plenty of jokes there. There's a great Robert Downey Jr. joke that I loved in this. It's really quick, but I laughed probably more than I should have, but I laughed. And that's one of the things I love about the good place. It's, it's that kind of humor that you're like, maybe I shouldn't be laughing so much at this, but for some reason I am. And that's one of the reasons that I've enjoyed the show. I just haven't talked about it on here. And and, until now, I mean, saw the show at Comic-Con this past year. I'm like, why am I not talking about the good place on the podcast? So here we are. And we do get, some very interesting developments right away in this first episode. So the final season certainly doesn't waste any time getting to where it needs to be. The dynamic between Eleanor and Chidi and Simone, especially what's going on with Simone, 
is very, very interesting and was one of the most hilarious things about this episode, quite frankly, for me, is what was going on with Simone and, and what she actually believes is going on, which is a big part of this. And there's just so many things that don't get jumbled up together, by the way, that are happening in this one episode. And Janet kind of echoes that at one point in this episode about how much there actually is going on. And some of these new residents, y- you might think you know what's going on, what's going on with them, but you might not know. Some of it seems so obvious on the surface, and then you start to think, well, I've got this figured out. Then maybe you don't. Then maybe you do. That push and pull, I really hope, is going to happen throughout the entire season. But I got to tell you, first episode-wise, The Good Place's final season, definitely off to a good start. The humor that you love from the show is going to be there. And it's really going to make you, you know, ask those, these start to ask some larger questions. I think it's just a great show to talk about with other people that watch the show because I feel like you get differing opinions depending on who you talk to. And it's just a fun show. In general, so make sure you're watching the final season of The Good Place, which starts Thursday, September the 26th at 9 p.m. on NBC. That's going to do it for my quick spoiler-free review of The Good Place season four premiere before it premieres. Up next, going to do a quick talk about the surprise Jurassic World short film Battle at Big Rock. We'll talk about that next on the Down and Nerdy podcast. Hi, I'm Sarah Desjardins from Impulse, and you are listening to the Down and Nerdy podcast. You've had about a week to think about it now, and it was a big surprise when it happened. And that was when, on FX, they just sort of dropped, after the they showed the Jurassic World movie, they dropped a short film which was called Jurassic World, The Battle at Big Rock. And, it's, and it is a short movie. It's about eight minutes long. And basically, it's the fallout from Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. And it takes place at Big Rock. National Park, and it's one year after the events of what happened in Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. Now, you've seen the movie, you know what happens, not going to go ahead and get into all that, but this was done by Colin Trevorrow, who did the movie, also written alongside Emily Carmichael, and if, you know some of, the, some of those pretty good names. The big name in the cast really here is Andre Holland, who you might remember from Moonlight, he was also in Castle Rock, and he was in American Horror Story in 2016. You know, he's been in some stuff, certainly someone that you'll recognize. You've also got names like Natalie Martinez. She was in this as well, and so many more. There's The description actually listed that, the you know, there's dinosaurs now living in the world, so it's like an integration of dinosaurs into society, and that's a big part of what happens here. There's going to be some spoilers involved in this too, by the way. So I should mention that before I keep going too much longer. And basically it's about a family of four who's, you know, encountering some dinosaurs and it's a, yeah, they call it a terrifying fight for survival in the description. Yeah. It's very innocent at first. And then all of a sudden it's like the snap of a finger and here we go. And, you know, especially with the baby and maybe it's because I've got, I've got two little ones at home and maybe that hits me at home. I, you know, it's hard for me to think, okay, this dinosaur is going to eat this baby. But you already see the Allosaurus, which, by the way, first time we've ever seen an Allosaurus in anything Jurassic World live action related, by the way, which I love. Finally, it's about time that that's happened. So, but we also get now, you might have think thought that that was a Triceratops. It was actually, it was actually a Nasuoceratops. You know, you, you've only got the kind of 
two horns and the shell there. You've got the flattened horn on the front. So it's a little bit different than a triceratops. So when the Allosaurus messes with that baby dinosaur, I got uncomfortable. I got uneasy. And I think that was the whole point of this was to think, yeah, this they could actually have this Allosaurus eat this baby. What what What's going to happen here? I, I, I don't know. And that's the whole point. It was to make me think that this child was actually going to be in danger at some point. And the family, you know, it ends up saving the child, which, you know, you kind of expect. And you get to see the daughter step up. There's a great callback moment about a crossbow that I really, really liked that came into play in this. Now, would that have been enough to stop an Allosaurus? Maybe, you know, not necessarily a not necessarily something that you're going to know for sure, because, you know, when are you ever going to be in that put in that situation? But it was just it created a lot of what's it really going to be like when these two worlds of dinosaurs and mankind blend together. And I know they sort of kind of did that in Jurassic Park three, you know, all those years ago. But this just feels different. You know, it really, really feels different and it feels a little bit more dire. And I think Dr. Ian Malcolm sort of brought that up in Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, didn't he? And this is how things are going to be now. And you're going to see some of these newer dinosaurs probably get introduced. This perfectly sets up what this third movie is going to be like, because as you go through the end credits, you see, you know, like people releasing doves after weddings and pterodactyls snatching them up and little girls being chased by the tiny dinosaurs and you know, it's it's just what do you do when this, for lack of a better word, outbreak happens, right? What on earth do you do when this goes down? So I, I think it sets it up perfectly. There was definitely a lot of tense moments there, not just with the baby, but with the entire family. And it's all centered in like this one camper on the campground, which is really, really crazy. They sort of don't go after anybody else. And nobody helps them either, by the way, which I get it. Maybe if it's me, I crouch down with my family, my trailer too, and I just pray that I'm not the next one. But at the same time, this seems like a community, and nobody seems to be wanting to help these this poor family that is being attacked by this Allosaurus. So that's, you know, it's kind of like, come on, guys. You know, can't we help each other out a little bit here? But it, apparently... We can't. So, I mean, I really, really enjoyed this. I know that there, there's been some criticism of it, but, but I mean, as far as something that was random, that we didn't expect, that got thrown at us, the production quality was top-notch. I thought it was really set the tone of what things are going to be like going forward for this. There was some good action. The Allosaurus looks great. You're introducing me to new dinosaurs. I don't know what else you could possibly want from something like this. It was short, it was quick, it was to the point. And part of me kind of hopes that we get another one of these before the movie comes out, before Jurassic World 3 comes out in June, on June 11th of 2021. Then part of me is like, you know what, let this be the thing that just sets us up for what we're going to have going forward. But I got to tell you, I enjoyed it. I've actually watched it a couple times now. If you want to watch it yourself, if you haven't seen it yet, go to downandnerdypodcast.com. We've got the video right up there for you that you can see, and you're going to want to watch this if you haven't already. That's my spoiler-ish review of the Battle of Big Rock Jurassic World short film. Up next, there's some nerd news to tend to, and we'll do that on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. 
This is writer Brendan Fletcher, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Feathers are about to fly in the streaming wars. It is time for nerd news, and yet another announcement of a streaming service has been made. This time it's NBC Universal's turn, and they are going to call their new streaming service Peacock, which makes sense. You know, that's kind of been their logo for a long time, and they're not going to go the whole plus route. They're going to try to be different. I understand that. I'm, I'm, I'm down with it. Looks like their original programming is going to start in the fall of 2020. This all according to Deadline, by the way, which was the first to report the story. And then NBC sent out their press release. So let's go through some of this a little bit. I mean, you've got stuff that's not necessarily nerd-related, but you know, you got The Office coming there. you got Parks and Rec, so if that's important to you, that's, that's something that you can look forward to. But looking at it through more of the nerdoscope here... And one of these is a new Battlestar Galactica series that's going to be coming from the creator of Mr. Robot, Sam Esmile. Now, this was early on reported as a reboot, and it took mere hours for Sam Esmile to jump on Twitter and say, Battlestar Galactica fans, this will not be a remake of the, of the Amazing series launched because why mess with perfection? Instead, we'll explore a new story within the mythology while staying true to the spirit of Battlestar. So say we all. That is from his Twitter account. Very, very smart that they're not going to do that. At least it's set in the same universe. You can kind of hang that on your hat, or at least it seems like it's going to be. They're already going to have enough reboots on here. They're going to do Saved by the Bell, Punky Brewster. I mean, that maybe that's stuff you loved when you were younger. I, I get it, but why mess with something like Battlestar and try and redo it? It's been this is one of those things where we've seen Battlestar try to kind of be redone at times, right? Maybe not a complete reboot, but certainly not the same. So I I think that this is a really smart move that they're just going to go ahead and try and do do something maybe not completely new, but at least adjacent to new. But until we have a synopsis, we won't really know anything, and there was no synopsis that was released for this. The psych movie that you were going to be coming up with, the psych movie sequel that was going to happen on USA, that is being moved to the Peacock streaming service, going to be titled Psych 2, Lassie Comes Home. Of course, Carlton Lasseter going to be coming back for that in more of a full-time role. I know we kind of saw him for a couple minutes in the first one, but this one is really going to be, I think we're going to get a lot of Lassie in this one, definitely based on the title anyway. That's not the only thing moving from USA either. There's a drama series called Brave New World from Grant Wiener and Grant and Grant Morrison that is also going to be moving there. It's it's based on the Adolis Huxley novel from 1932. Basically, it's the imagining of a utopian society that was achieved that achieved peace and stability through the prohibition of monogamy, privacy, money, family, in history itself. Already got a cast in place and everything. It was supposed to, I think it was already supposed to have aired this season. They're going to hold off on that until at least the fall of 2020. So there there are other, there's other original programming that's going to be coming on there. I did not see a price point on this. And to me, price point is everything at this point, right? Especially once Disney dropped their price point and said, it's going to cost you basically nothing for all of this amazing stuff that we've kept vaulted for so long, and now we're just kind of kind of give it to you. All in an effort, it seems like, to kill Netflix. I'm sorry. It just it just really seems that way, and and that's kind of what you do in a in a 
you know, in a war like this, right, you try and take out the competition. There's no way that Disney would ever say that that's what they're doing, but that's really what it looks like they're doing. And I hate to keep coming back to Disney when I talk about somebody else's streaming service, but that there's the stick right there. There's the measuring stick. That price point, that amount of content, everything that they have control over, they have waited for this moment to be able to do this. And yes, NBC can say, well, we've got The Office. We've got Parks and Rec, these catalog titles. And that's fantastic. And they're going to have some movies as well. Back to the Future will be on there, a few others. It's still universal. They still have titles that they can hang their hat on. It's not like they have nothing. But at the same time, if you're going to compete with Disney, who's the new measuring stick, whether Netflix likes it or not, they might have started this whole thing, but Disney's going to try to finish it. You want to compete with that? You better come out swinging with more than Saved by the Bell and Punky Brewster. I can tell you right that right now. And as much as Battlestar might be cool, you're going to have to do more than that as well. And I'm not just looking at NBC. I'm looking at UCBS with what you're trying to do with Star Trek. And you're doing well, but still, watch yourself because that price point still quite a bit higher than Disney. And that's without ads, too, by the way, and with ads. You're still, your with ads price is still pretty up there compared to what Disney's going to do. So... You can give people all the content in the world if it doesn't measure up price point-wise or at least come close to what Disney's going to offer for their price point. You're going to have a hard time getting people wanting to subscribe to anything that you put out. I actually think the Peacock's going to be a good streaming service. I think that there's a lot of interesting content that's going to be coming on there. I'm just saying you got to be careful because I'm not sure... It's going to be that easy to keep up. Now, here's something I really, really didn't want to talk about. But I feel like I have to because it still seems like it's all over social media. And that is the first poster which is released by Warner Brothers Pictures for Birds of Prey and the Fabulous Emancipation of Harley Quinn. There are some upset fans, first of all, about the look of Black Mask and how, you know, Ewan McGregor's not wearing the mask and... I mean, it's a poster, guys. I get it. You're you're nervous. You're upset. Everything looks so flamboyant and colorful, and nobody looks the way they're supposed to, and what are we going to do? Ah, I mean, it's a poster. You want to freak out about a trailer? Okay. You want to freak out about a first look? I totally understand freaking out. I still don't necessarily agree with freaking out over one trailer, but if you want to freak out over a trailer, cool with that. I mean... It, Maybe you look at the poster and says, if that's Zaz, I'm not having it. If that's Victor Zaz, I'm not okay with it. If that's what Black Mask is going to look like, I'm not okay with it. Here's the deal. Here's what I think they're going for here. Whether it's right or wrong, this is the vibe that I'm getting from this. If you've read New 52 Harley Quinn, that's the Jimmy Palmiotti and Amanda Connor run. It seems like that's what they're going with tonally for this movie Period. I'm not saying that that's going to set the stage of how she broke up with the Joker, which she does do in the beginning of that comic, right? That's how it sets the whole thing into motion with her breaking up with Joker. I'm not saying that that's how it's going to start out. What I'm saying is, is that tonally, it seems like that's what they're going with right now and how that affects Black Canary. Because remember, New 52 Black Canary, when they did sort of a relaunch with that as well, had this whole rock star vibe thing going on, and she was with a band, and it, it was a really cool book by Brendan Fletcher and Annie Wu. If you haven't checked it out, you, you kind of should go back because it was really neat. Matter of fact, we interviewed them 
years ago when it first came out. You could find that interview on our SoundCloud page at downandnerdypodcast.com. Anyway, I'm getting off topic here because that Harley Quinn run painted almost every character that was in it in a light that you would not expect or that is different from the norm of what you would expect, whether that be Poison Ivy or, or any other character that you might have seen. There's There was plenty of parody in that story as well. There was a character called Red Tool. I'll let you decide who that was based off of. Seems pretty obvious to me. Um, it's just That just seems like that's what they're going with. They're going to go with fun. They're going to go with different, and they're not going to care about anything else. This is what they're deciding to do with this movie, and this doesn't mean this is going to be your forever Black Canary. This doesn't mean it's going to be your forever Huntress. Maybe this is just going to be a fun movie that's a little bit of an escape from the norm of what superhero movies can be, and those tend to do pretty well, and I'm not saying that this is going to, but can we give something a chance beyond a single poster for once? Maybe this was just to rile fans up, get some attention on a movie that will eventually drop a trailer online that hasn't done that yet. Maybe that's what's happening here. I'm sure Ewan McGregor will wear the mask at some point. That black mask is coming on. I'm calling it right now. It's going to happen. So, again, can we wait and see a little bit before we freak out over one poster? Wait at least for a trailer before you go off the rails on social media a little bit. Okay, now that I've talked about that, here's something that's definitely a little bit different in the superhero genre, and that's Netflix releasing a trailer for its new series. I thought it was a movie first, but it's actually a series called Raising Dion. It's basically about a young boy who's struggling to control his newfound powers and a single mom fighting the odds to keep her son safe with secrets, conspiracies, mysteries, and all dangerously swimming and swarming around one family. That is the synopsis that was released from Netflix. This is coming out on October the 4th, by the way, which is the same day as the Joker movie, which an interesting time to, to go ahead and release this. But here's the deal. One of the things that, and you see that this kid's powers, it seems like are almost endless. The kid has like this teleportation power, manipulating storms and, and, and light and, and movement. It's really, really a neat set of powers that Dion has. But to me, you, you take all that out of the equation, right? Because you can almost do nothing you haven't seen before in the genre when it comes to something like this. We've seen the kid that has powers that's trying to be protected by either a parent or a guardian or a friend, something along those lines, right? We've seen this before. What to me most interested me about this series. You have to ground me in something else to keep me. And that was Nicole Warren and Dion Warren. The, the relationship between mother and son, between Alicia Wainwright's Nicole and Josiah Young's Dion Warren was just so... You, you could feel that bond to the core during this entire trailer. And that made me go, you know what? I want to see what happens to this family. Not with this kid's powers, with this family. The powers are the, like the cherry on top of the sundae. That's what gets your attention to draw you to this if you're a fan of the genre. Now, what else are you going to give me? I see powers. I'm interested. What else do I get? I get this amazing bond and relationship between mother and son 
and something's happened to dad. We need to find out exactly what happened to dad. And I'm really hoping it's not what I think that, that they said there was a storm. This kid's manipulating storms. Hopefully this wasn't something that happened to dad. That was something that the kid didn't even know he did. If it goes down that road, I'm going to be really bummed out because that, that would be a gut punch for sure. I really hope that they don't do that. But it's just a, it's a very interesting, seems like it's going to be a deeply emotional family story. And there's, you know, there's government tracking involved and stuff like that. And again, this is stuff that I've seen. What are you going to give me that I either haven't seen or something that's going to make me want to keep pushing forward? And I think it's that mother-son relationship that's going to do exactly that. I also wanted to talk a little bit about that first look at Treadstone that USA Network actually released for the new Jason Bourne Universe series. And that's what we're going to call it because basically it's a a series event that is based in the Jason Bourne universe. And it's about, you know, creating a new group of unstoppable superhuman assassins, which of course is what the description says. Now in this, it was about four minutes, almost five minutes. You get to see Jeremy Irvine's character of J. Randolph Bentley kind of get himself out of a sticky situation. We also see Gabrielle Stuznitsky's character of Petra. I'm sorry, Gabrielle. I know I butchered your name. We get to see that very, very quickly. We don't really know a whole lot about what's going on other than the action that's presented to us, right? So it, it's supposed to put it at face value of saying, we'll get to the intrigue, but first of all, here's the action that you love from the Jason Bourne series, which we think brings you back. Well, the story still has to be interesting. And here's the thing. It's hard to top what was done in the Bourne movies, especially in a series, and that's for a lot of different reasons. And I actually think... The cast is pretty darn good, and I think that they'll do a great job. But in 10 episodes of this first season, what are they going to be given? And in this first four minutes, I'm interested and I'm intrigued, but I don't know if I'm intrigued because I'm a fan of the of the story itself or if I'm intrigued by the four minutes that I saw. Nothing reached out, grabbed me by the shirt, and says, you have to watch this now in this four minutes, and it's a small sample size, and it's an early sample size. They don't really really get in, get to get into too much. What you do know is, is that Jeremy Irvine's character of Jane Randolph Bentley, very clever, very much fits within the genre. So that's got me, that, that's got my hopes high. We don't really get a whole lot of Petra in this, in this little clip here, but there's certainly a dynamic there. We see a couple of odd little things that I'm sure will be answered as at least the first episode plays out, if not a little bit longer. So I think they've at least got the spirit of the story right, and it's really hard to tell from four minutes. I wasn't wild like I was hoping I was going to be, but I'm definitely interested. This coming out, by the way, on the USA Network on October the 15th, that is when you're going to be able to see the first episode of Treadstone. And yeah, of course I'm going to check it out. We'll review it on the show here as well, because you know this is something I've been looking forward to. I'm just really, really hoping that it's good. Quickly, I'm going to jump to a story that happened earlier this week because I think it's important to talk about really quickly, and that's Jupiter's Legacy, which is supposed to be coming to Netflix, losing its showrunner, and th- this is really not good for a couple of reasons. This was reported by Deadline. Stephen S. Denight was the showrunner, and that's a guy you want to have if you're Netflix, right? You want him on a show like this. Now, leaving over creative differences. That happens. Okay. But here's the deal. First of all, he wrote and directed the first episode. So I, I'm sure, I don't know if they're going to still be using that or not when the new when the new showrunner comes in. I would like to think so because 
The report also says they're halfway through filming and they're not going to stop production to search for a new showrunner. So that means one of two things. That either means time is money or they have somebody on the staff or in mind already that they think can just take over and it can be business as usual. It's a strong cast. It's a good story on its face, right? At least the source material. Why are we rushing this? What is the, is this the whole, is this the pressure of the streaming wars that we're seeing right now? Netflix feels like we got to get this out because if we don't, we're going to fall behind the eight ball. Uh, wh- why we got this whole Millar verse in the fr- Millar world verse in the first place. So if this one gets behind, what are we going to do? Now, if you don't, if you're not familiar, just quick synopsis. Jupiter's legacy follows the world's first generation of superheroes who receive their powers in the 1930s. Now in the present day, the revealed elder guard, but their superpowered children struggle to live up to the legendary feats from their parents. Good premise, right? Source material, very good. Why are we rushing into this? You are taking something that could end up being awesome for four episodes, or not, and that's also a possibility. But you're taking something that could have a completely either have a completely different direction, creatively in its last four episodes, or you're taking something that you're going to have to delay anyway because your new showrunner might look at what's already there and go, you know what, this isn't, no, this isn't working. We need to reshoot. And maybe part of it is you're not sure you're going to be able to get some of these actors back schedule-wise. You're worried that, you know, somebody's not going to come back if this gets delayed. There's a thousand different reasons to do this. But at the same time, this seems like one you really, really want to get right, especially if this is going to be one of your first impressions from the Millar world verse, that's the best best possible thing that I can call it. It's not all connected or anything, but that's the best name I have for it with the, with this Mark Millar universe that they're creating. Here's the deal. This is a show that could really, really work. I just hope, and I could be totally off base with this, I hope they're not rushing into something that could be really, really great and end up stumbling out of the gate. Because if you stumble out of the gate with something like this, especially with a just a ton of competition on your back now. Yeah, you could be asking for trouble and you could kind of make people not want to check out what else you've got coming no matter what because of the bad taste in their mouth from this. So this is a risky little game by Netflix and hopefully it's one that pays off because I want Jupiter's Legacy to be awesome. That's going to do it for Nerd News. Up next, it's time for more Fall TV 2019. Let's talk about Prodigal Son with Frank Hartz up next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is comic book creator Jerry Conway, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Continuing our trip around the fall TV 2019 world, here's a a show that certainly caught my attention on Fox. It's Prodigal Son, which, of course, is going to be premiering on Monday, September the 23rd at 9 p.m. Just happen to have my man JT Tarmel on the line right now. It's Frank Hartz. Frank, how's it going, man? Hello, hello. Now, Frank, what was the first thing that jumped out at you when you read this script that made you say, I have to be a part of this show? I'm going to have to say, of course, the, the darkly uh, comedic aspect of dealing with uh, serial killers, murderers, and cops um, caught my attention. And I worked with uh, you know Chris and Sam before on another project, and I knew anything they were involved in. Uh, along with Sarah Schechter, was going to be great. And then also on the page, uh, and from what I was hearing, the police force was uh, going to be very diverse. And that was something that was very exciting to me, that the police force, you know, had sort of a diverse aspect to it. You know, we got great Lou Diamond Phillips, Laura Perrineau, myself, working uh, 
in tandem with the awesome Tom Payne. So, um, you know, that, that was exciting to me. Now, as someone who actually lives in New York, do you feel like it helped you in preparing to play a police officer that actually works in the same city and kind of bring more of an authenticity to the role? Yeah, you know, I'd say if the 30... 30 plus badges that I've worn uh, of all various stripes and uh, uniforms hadn't prepared me enough. Um, living in this city every day, uh, definitely, definitely did. I know a lot of uh, cops and, um, you know, had some in the family and, um, you know, grew up around cops. And um, so I, it's almost like it's, it's every time I, I go to kick down a door or something, I, I look over to, to, to Tom and Aurora, you know, I do like a little double take and I say, since I was eight years old. <laughs> oh yeah. You know, look at it's true. I've been wanting to do this thing for real since I was eight, and then I realized how dangerous it was, and I said, you know what? Let me just study, pretend, act, go to Juilliard, graduate, and play them uh, just on television and stage. You know, it's it's safer that way because I'll save the the hard stuff for the the brave uh, men and women who do it every day. Definitely a lot safer. Now let's talk about your fellow officers for a second because when I watched the first episode, it really feels like JT and Danny have a really strong bond. So talk about that a little bit. Yeah, you know, um, I mean, they're both from from you know New York, uh, born and bred. You know, JT from Harlem. Uh, you know, around 139th and Lenox. Uh, Danny from the Bronx, I believe South Bronx, uh, South Bronx, South South Bronx. And uh, so they have that New York thing in common, you know, also they have that uh, that skin tone thing in common. I think they have a similar way of approaching things on the job. However, I think JT is a little taken aback when, you know, she, Danny takes a bit of a, uh, you know, a softer approach to uh, Malcolm Bright's um, entrance into the uh, NYPD family, um, the invitation of uh, Gil Arroyo. JT is a bit skeptical, as we know, of uh, from watching the pilot, uh, as people will know from watching the pilot, that uh, you know of Bright's um, presence on the scene. So I think even though him and Danny are tight, I'm actually really excited to explore that relationship more as partners as the seasons go on. He still uh, doesn't know why everybody is so welcoming of this son of a serial killer, you know, which seems like uh, psychotic uh, tendencies. Absolutely. Actually, let's talk about that meeting between the two of them for a second, between JT and Malcolm, because to say that Malcolm is unconventional might be a bit of an understatement. I know you can't really spoil anything, but (laughs) talk to friends a little bit about that first impression that that we see on the screen between JT and between Malcolm. Yeah, I mean, he, you know, the guy, first things first, you know, he... He doesn't have a badge anymore. He's not an official officer. He was kicked out of the FBI. He's the son of this serial killer. You know, JT is obviously skeptical of an individual like that because, um, you know, we're, we're trying to do real police work here. And here we have this guy with, you know, visions and, and odd history just sort of thrust upon us. So, yeah, I mean, it's, 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 he, he, he left that JT is the type of person that wears that stuff on his, um, you know, on his sleeve, you know, he doesn't pull any punches and, um, you know, you have to prove to him that you are, you know, worthy before he's going to invite you into something as serious as, uh, law enforcement work. Absolutely. We're talking to Frank Hart, who plays detective JT Tarmel on Fox's prodigal son, which of course premieres Monday, September the 23rd at 9 PM on Fox. Now, Frank, it, we talked about Lou Diamond Phillips. Doesn't have doesn't hurt to have a guy like that 
as your boss, I'm sure. So what kind of a leader do you say Gil is? And will this whole Malcolm thing actually call that into question for JT a little bit? Gil Arroyo is, as far as JT is concerned, and, you know, based on the evidence that he's seen, you know, a very solid leader, someone he, he trusts to uh, steer the, the the NYPD ship. And he does have a hard time understanding why Gil brought uh, Bright onto the scene in this fashion. But there is a level of, uh, you know, a really a heavy level of trust there that JT has and, and, and sort of allows him to accept it. For, for now and because he does trust Gil and knows there must be a good reason for it. He's still waiting for that good reason to, you know, present itself. And it's, it's it happens in drips and drabs. You know, he, he starts to see some of Bright's uh, twisted genius, um, you know, throughout the, uh, the pilot and, 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 and the episodes to follow, you know, we're, we're now we're into, I think we're on episode seven we're filming now. And, you know, it's, it's possible. I won't, you know, throw any, any spoilers out, but, you know, it's possible that, you know, JT starts to, to grow a level of uh, respect uh, for, for Bright and his abilities, uh, you know, after a while. He may not be fully sold, but he, he, he can, I can see where they can have a, a tighter bond and a tighter relationship as time goes on. And JT begins to respect his abilities, regardless of all the history and, and, and personal issues, especially since, you know, JT also deals with his own, you know, level of PTSD, something they sort of have in common. JT being a, you know, a military man himself, you know, right. Dealing with it for different issues, uh, different reasons. But, um, anyway, back to your original question, I think that, you know, there's a level of respect for Gil Arroyo uh, that JT has and, and there's a trust and he's going to follow the yellow brick road and believe in Gil's mission until proven otherwise. Now, Frank, you mentioned Juilliard earlier in your background. You've also got a Broadway background as well. And, I have to wonder, though, if JT were to audition for a Broadway play, past or present, running or not running right now, what do you think it would be? Probably Hurley Burley. Nice. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I mean, we, we, can we can we work that into an episode at some point, you know? Maybe got to go undercover a little bit. I hope to. Hey, listen, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm never against it. And, and, yeah, it'd be, you know, but you never know with JT. That's the thing. It's like you might, on the on the surface, you might say Hurley Burley and – you know, next thing you know, he's he's out there, you know, auditioning for I don't know a raisin and Walter Lee and a raisin in the sun or something. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you know, he's possibilities. like I just you know this is something. Yeah, all the possibilities because he's you know I think he's a well-read individual. You know, he you know he did grow up on the streets, but and he didn't come from a lot, but he did have a very supportive uh, family, a very supportive mother uh, who believed in education, and uh, you know he he didn't have a lot of money, but he I don't think he ever really wanted for. You know, he never went hungry, and so uh, you never know what this guy has on his uh, on his bookshelf at home. Now, Frank, quickly before I let you go, uh, are we going to get to learn a little bit more about JT's backstory as the season goes on? Because we don't get a whole lot of that in the first episode. Yeah, you know, I think that um, you know I've been talking with uh, Chris and Sam about it, and and, and um, I think that the plan is, you know, there there are a lot of uh, obviously a lot of characters in this show, and it must be uh, I can't imagine the the, the work it takes to. Um, unfold the backstory for each and every one of them. And I know that the plan is to do that with all the characters, including JT. So yeah, I'm, 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 I'm hoping that by the end of the season, we, we do get to know him you know, a lot better. And I, I'm confident that that'll happen. Fingers crossed. We have a number of seasons to unfold the backstories, all the characters in a, in a rich, 
rich fashion. Well, I can tell you guys right now that in the first episode alone, there's one episode, there's one scene in particular with JT you're definitely going to remember. That's why you're going to want to watch Prodigal Son when it premieres on Fox Monday, September 23rd at 9 p.m. Eastern. Check your local listings anywhere else. And also watch it again on the Fox Now app after you watch it live on Monday. It's Frank Hartz who plays Detective JT Tarmel. Thank you so much for joining me this week. Sure thing. Listen to me screaming out loud. My love for everyone listening to this podcast uh, after it airs. You'll hear me screaming from the, uh, the in between the buildings of New York City. It'll echo throughout the nation. Love you guys. So when I watched Prodigal Son, I, I thought that I was definitely going to be getting, you know, like a psychological thriller and, you know, mixed with cop drama, mixed with all these very interesting scientific elements, right? What I didn't expect was a little bit of com- comedy that we get, the bond that you get between the officers and, and the, the interesting interpersonal relationships in the show. This show just has a little bit of everything. I'm telling you, you won't be sorry when you watch this show Monday night, September the 23rd at 9 p.m. on Fox because Prodigal Son is one of my biggest surprises, quite frankly, of this upcoming fall season, and I cannot wait to see where this story goes, and there's so many good performances. And I'm telling you, this first episode, yes, JT is a part of one of my most memorable scenes of this episode. And I'm, not, I'm not sure I'm going to be able to forget this one because i got to tell you, it was. Uh, let's just call it outside the box. Let's just put it that way. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Again, thanks so much to Frank Hartz for joining me this week to talk about Prodigal Son on Fox and the folks at Fox as well. If you want more, we'll have reviews of the show coming up at some point. Make sure you go to our website, downandnerdypodcast.com for stuff like that and be listening for that on the show as well. Also, you want to follow us on social media? You know that folks got thoughts to share on social media as well. Facebook.com slash downandnerdy and at downandnerdy757 on Twitter and on Instagram as well. Remember, you never have to apologize for being a nerd, so let your fan flag fly. Be good to your fellow nerds.